Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. How is your physical appetite this morning? Your physical appetite. Are you ready to eat? Are you ready to, all right, pastor, come on now. We have lunch plans, so let's go. And the more I talk about food, the hungrier you might become. When we go through intense times of suffering, that can cause us to not enjoy eating, like the sound of food. If we're dealing with grief, you, you know what it's like to be in those situations. And somebody says, you want to eat something, and you, you just don't want to eat. When we're sick, we go through times of sickness, the sound of something is, you know, here's some food. It just doesn't, it's just not appealing at all. You'll, a loss of appetite. And then there's the kind of the season that we're in right now uh, on the bus on Friday, and the kids come out of school with all kinds of candy. And their parents are going to wonder, you know, Friday evening, how, how come you're not hungry? It's because, although they're not supposed to, they ate half their bag of candy on the way home from school. They just ate it all. So they've ruined their appetite, Right? All of these things can cause us to lose a physical appetite. This morning, we're looking at a spiritual appetite. How is your spiritual appetite today, this morning? What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for at the level of your soul? What does your heart crave? What are you pursuing in life? These questions are most important for us, beloved. What do you want in life? What do you want more than anything? There are many answers that people might put in. I want a good career. That's what I want. I want a good retirement. I want to have good relationships. That's what it is. I want a better marriage. I want better kids. I want a better job. I want a brighter future. I'm tired of not feeling well. I want health. And there's a whole level connected to Christianity that is, is giving out what is called the health, wealth, prosperity, and then it's called the gospel, but it's not anything that will rescue and deliver people from their sins. So it's not really good news, it's just news. Jesus is not bringing a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, beloved. He's bringing the gospel that we need for our souls. Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing holiness this morning? Now, if we were to take Matthew chapter 5, and we haven't read it yet, we will in a moment, if we were to rework this to, way, to the way that most people live their lives, then all we would do is lift out that first word, move it later in the verse, lift out another word, righteousness, put that at the beginning, and most people believe it's right Okay, it's righteous, it's acceptable that I hunger and thirst after happiness. And if I get happiness, then I would be satisfied. Remember I asked you a few weeks ago, what are you living for? It was in that blank. If I had that, then I would be happy. If I had that, then I would be satisfied. I would be whole. I would be complete. And, and you can put all of those things that if people live for, but if it's anything other than God himself, beloved, it's not, 
we might lose it. It is we will lose it in time. Can whatever you're living for hold up the weight of your soul? Your soul? That's the most important question for us. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said it this way. He said, The great tragedy of the world is that though it gives itself to seek for happiness, it never seems to be able to find it. Just can't find it. Now, disciples of the Lord Jesus, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we want to be like him in every way. This is what we pursue, to be like Christ. Humanly, impossible. Can't be done. We're spiritually bankrupt. We mourn over our sin because we're woefully sinful. Instead of being meek, we're often, I'm often too much filled with self. Self-centered pride. Beloved, we are all in need of divine intervention. And that's the only way we're going to be like Jesus is if he makes us like him, if he begins and completes the work in us. And thankfully, God has done this. In the work of the cross, the message of the gospel, God has in fact made a way for sinners. So it's not about how we behave that saves us. It's what we believe. And when we receive God's gift of salvation, when we come to faith in Christ, then we see our behavior change. Not the other way around. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. We don't have to read our Bibles. We get to read our Bibles. It's not that we have to give in an offering sacrificially to the work of the Lord. We love to give and we want to give more and we are excited about what God is doing. It isn't that we have to tell people about Jesus and, and go share the gospel. We get to tell this God who made us came, lived a life we could never live, died in our place, and is willing to receive you if you turn from your sin and you trust in him. And the wrath of God was poured out on him so that the wrath of God need not be poured out on you. It's our privilege to tell this. We don't have to make disciples. We get to make disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to come to church. Oh, I've got to go to church again. We can't wait until we're together with our brothers and sisters in Christ under the teaching of the word, fellowshipping, worshiping together. Amen? It's not something we have to do. It's something that a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, wants to do. And if someone is like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give. I don't want to, I don't want to. Then check the heart. See where you are with God this morning. This sermon, it's a description of the upside down life. It is not how to be a Christian. Do all this. No, you can't. This is the description of a person who has become a Christian a follower of Christ. And this is what we don't do perfectly, but we want to do. We want to grow and mature in being like Christ. Amen? That's our heart's desire. Well, how'd you get that? He gave it to me. He put that in me. From the mountain, let's go back. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. All right, good. All one of you with me on that one. All right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Good, we tripled our numbers there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And our verse for today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Your Bible might say filled. Now, as we have looked at this, we have come to understand verse 3, the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. This is what a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven says. I'm bankrupt. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I don't have anything that God desires or needs. I've got nothing. And then we move to how they feel. They mourn over their sin. They don't celebrate sin. They don't excuse sin. They don't accept it. Don't sweep it under the rug. They mourn over their sin. That's a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's how they feel. How do they think? They're meek. And when other people say, you know, there's an area of sin. What are you doing in sin? They don't say, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to talk with you about my sin. That's not meek. That's arrogant. Meekness says, yeah, I appreciate that you love me. Thank you for engaging with me and dealing with me in an area where I'm struggling. That's strength under control. Now we get to this uh, fourth beatitude, and this is what a believer, this is what a citizen of the kingdom of God, this is what they pursue. Now we're going somewhere. This morning, the claim I want to lay out for us today is this. The disciple of Jesus will enjoy the blessing of pursuing God's glory and man's good forever. I want to let that sink in a little bit, okay? And I want you to think, you can ask it as a question. Do I enjoy the blessing of pursuing God's glory and man's good? I can ask you that question this morning. I want you to take time and think about that. Is, does this describe me? Is this what I want in life? When I asked you that question a few minutes ago, did this, did this come online in your mind? God's glory, man's good. That's our purpose statement. We exist to, number one, glorify God and reach people for Jesus Christ. That's this. And the disciple of Jesus, they will enjoy the blessing they will enjoy the blessing of pursuing God's glory and man's good. And how long does this enjoyment last? Forever. So this is where we're going. And so as we look at this fourth beatitude this morning, just an overview, we're going to see how intense is this craving. This craving for righteousness. We'll talk about the intensity. What is the object of this craving? I don't know what you're craving right now, but the citizen of God's kingdom, they crave righteousness. And then what is the result? How does this play out? What is the result of this craving? So number one, first of all, the intensity of this craving is all-consuming. Okay, for the citizen of God's kingdom, which is a disciple, a disciple of Jesus, this craving is intense to the point that it is all-consuming. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Now, there's a lot of times that my wife accuses me of being hangry, right? I get hungry, 
And when I get hungry, just all bets are off. I'm just, it's time to eat. We get to the table, food's sitting there, it's ready to go. Somebody's not at the table. I'm like, where, where is there to be right now other than right here with food? There's food to be eaten right now. You turn, in our house, you turn your head, there, there's going to be a dog scooping in. He'll be like, hey, if you're going to leave this for me, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. He'll eat up. If somebody starts telling a story and we're all sitting down at the table, like, yeah, and they start a story, I'm like, Shh, time out. We're going to give thanks. Then we're going to start eating. You can finish your story. I'm going to be eating. I'll listen to you. As long as you want to talk, I'll eat. That's how it goes. I'm intense when it comes to eating. I'm intense in a few other areas of my life as well. But when it comes to eating, I can be pretty intense on eating. If I broke my teeth eating at our last small group leader, I don't know what I'm doing. All right, I just get intense. A little too intense. There's the fourth promise here of divine blessing from Jesus in this, in this beatitude. Now, this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's higher, but it's also deeper. It's penetrating deeper into our souls. And it blossoms out of the three that come before it, and it flows into the three that follow. This is like a linking, a, a hinge beatitude here. How do we have true happiness? Oh, people are searching for happiness. Jesus described here the intense longing in terms of life and death. All right, so, you know, we say things, we say sayings like, oh, it hurts so bad, I thought I was going to die. Or I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. A lot of times we can amp and accelerate things to where it sounds like, you know, if I don't get my, you know, homework done, I'm going to die. Or, you know, it's like, really? You might be amping that up just a little bit. When Jesus says life or death, he means it. Hunger and thirst. There's, fear, there's physical dimensions to this, but there's spiritual dimensions to this, and we need to understand both. Hunger and thirst are fundamental physical needs. How long can you go without eating? How long can you go without drinking? When Jesus uses the word hunger, that word just, it means to crave. It means to be needy. It means to pine after, to suffer want. It's real desperation and hunger. Then he uses the word thirst. And that is there's a painful suffering due to a lack of drink, a lack of water. Remember what Jesus cried out on the cross? I thirst. Same root word, thirst desperate. The normal usage of the Greek verbs here would be, I want some. Okay, If it was written in a normal way, if Jesus would have said it in a normal way, he would have said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for some righteousness. So you think about it at the table, when you say, will you pass me some biscuits? Will you pass me some chicken? Will you pass me, I'm going to make you real hungry, some, you know, some of the ham. Of course, pass me some of the grape. What you're usually not saying is, have you gotten all you want? Too bad. Pass it all to me. Pass me all. You want one biscuit? Pass me all of the biscuits. Pass me all of the chicken. Pass me all of the salad. I'm really hungry. Y'all can watch me eat, okay? A limited supply around the table. When Jesus is using the word in the nominative case here, it's saying, please pass all of the. I want all of the righteousness of God. The movie Radio, Cuba Gooding Jr., I think uh, Ed Harris, they're sitting at the diner. And the waitress comes up and she asks, you know, would you like some pie? 
And uh, Ed Harris looks, you know, at Cuba Gooding Jr. Radio, you want some pie? What kind you have? She names off two. He says, I'll have both. And he looks up and says, bring him both. He wants both. That's close, but it really would be, I want all the pie you have. And then Stephen uh, Dems that she sent me, you know, Ron Swanson off, uh, you know, uh, what, what is it? Parks and Rec. And he's sitting there at the counter, and they bring him a steak. He's like, that's not steak. Send that back. I want all of the eggs and bacon you have. And the guy turns around and says, wait, wait, come back. I'm afraid you may not understand. I want, I don't want some. I don't want a lot. I want all of the bacon and eggs you have and bring them to me. When Jesus is talking about this, he's saying all of the righteousness of God. I want it all, not just part, not just some. I want all of the righteousness of God. Of God. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You hear this longing to be in the presence, longing to be with the way you long to be with a loved one, and you cannot wait to see a loved one. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see the comparison here. This is how much I'm longing for God. Now most of us, beloved, are unfamiliar with living in conditions like this. There are people on planet Earth today, they live in countries where they do not have access to clean water, they do not have access to food. When people come from other countries to the United States and they go to one of our grocery stores and they go to Sam's Club or Costco or wherever, their eyes near bug out of their head because they've never seen this much food. I remember Min Kai coming over with uh, Steve Saint and he goes to the drive through and you know, he's like, they give you free food. You pull up and you just smile. He's like, no, you know, Steve Saint told him, no, Minkai, uh, we give them our money. He's like, no, you don't. You give it to them and they give it back to you, the credit card. You give it back to you and they give you food and you smile. This is amazing. He went back to the, the jungles in Ecuador telling me, it's amazing. You go to places, they, they just give you food out of the windows. It's amazing. There are so many people, though, who do not have access and when Jesus is speaking about this craving, this hunger, this thirst, this daily bread, we've heard of famines, the Great Depression, living through a time when where will the next meal come from? In the Old Testament, Esau came in from hunting, and whatever Isaac was making, Jacob and Esau, Jacob was there. He's fixing that stew, and he smells that. It's like, Jacob, I want some of that. I'll give it to you. I'll give you some for your birthright. And this is how he responds. I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. I'm going to die. Really? Really? Moses recorded that Esau despised his birthright traded it for a bowl of soup. 
In the wilderness, the children of Israel, they didn't trust and obey the Lord. They complained. They cried out when they were thirsty. We want water, Exodus 17, verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You don't love us, and you don't love animals, you murderer. They're thirsty. Where's water coming from? Coming from the Lord provided. They intensely craved meat. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember. Now here's what our minds do. They, they revisit history and they, they kind of edit out the bad things and they make it better than it was. And they're thinking back on slavery, saying, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Our government gave us all these nice things. It was so nice to be you know, fed by the government. It was wonderful. Really? And now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Who gave them the manna? God did. Do you hear what they're saying? We don't want what you've given God. We would rather go back to Egypt. Oh, the Lord was so patient with them. In uh, World War I, there's a book, The Romance of the Last Crusade by Major Vivian Gilbert. An account when the British liberated Palestine during the First World War. They made their way north from Beersheba. And there was a combination. There were British troops, Australian troops, and troops from New Zealand. They were pressing. They were following up on the Turkish army. The Turkish army was retreating, but they had to go across an arid desert. Okay, it's deadly to be in the desert. Daytime, you can dry you up, scorch you. Nighttime, freeze. They're making their way across the desert. And this is what Major Gilbert recorded. He said the attack outdistanced its water-carrying camel train. They ran out of water. And they still had more to go. He said water bottles were empty. The sun blazed pitilessly out of a sky where the vultures wheeled expectantly. Our heads ached and our eyes became bloodshot and dim in the blinding glare. Our tongues began to swell. Our lips turned to a purplish black and burst. Now, this military had to get to Sharia. When they got to Sharia, there were wells that were waiting for them. Along the way, many soldiers dropped into the sand and were never seen again. If they didn't get to this town, to Sharia, by nightfall, then for sure they were going to lose and the, the whole army would be lost. They, why? They didn't have water. Simply water. Major Gilbert continues in his account. He said, we fought that day as men fight for their lives. We entered Sharia Station on the heels of the retreating Turks. The first objects which met our view were the great stone cisterns full of cold, clear drinking water. The whole company was placed in ranks of two, fall in by twos. And it took them four hours to get everybody nourished with the water. 
What they didn't know is 20 feet away on the other side of a small, a low stone wall were thousands of gallons in a reservoir that could have fed the army in a relatively short time. Major Gilbert, he wrote in conclusion of this account, he said this, I believe that we all learned our first real Bible lesson on that march from Beersheba to Sharia Wells. What was the lesson that they learned? If we don't have water, we die. We have to press on. We can't go back. We have to press on. If we don't get to the wells, we will not live. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So beloved, can I ask you the question? This intensity, does that characterize you? Is your life characterized by intensity in pursuing the glory of God and the good of man that you're searching for him in this way, hungering and thirsting for God? Secondly, what is the object of this craving? The object of this craving is righteousness. It's righteousness. And this object is all-surpassing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what, Jesus? For righteousness. And what is righteousness? What, what do we mean by righteousness? It means acceptance. It's a right standing before God and a right standing before others. Something falls over, pick it up, put it back. Put it in its restored condition. That's the way it was meant to be. Jesus is saying here, there's a real hunger and thirst for righteousness. This isn't just in the mind. This just isn't a passing feeling. This is a real hunger and thirst for righteousness so that a citizen of God's kingdom prioritize this above everything else in life. I wonder if that describes you. This is where happiness is. This is where blessing abounds. Beloved, we cannot live. That's the point that Jesus is making. You cannot live without being right with God, without having a righteousness that is not your own. So how is your spiritual appetite this morning? I think we can do a pretty quick assessment on our physical appetite. But how is your spiritual appetite? Are you hungry and thirsty for God? Now, when we talk about righteousness, the object of this craving, right? what are we focusing on? There's three aspects to righteousness. First of all, to this righteousness, it's a, there's a legal righteousness, okay? And this is received from God. This would be, and technically, conformity to the norm, okay? That here's the way we were made, Adam, Eve, without sin, in the garden, fellowship with God, and then, Genesis 3, we sinned, fallen, plunged. Now the punishment coming is death. That's not what we were created for. We were created, and we were very good. We were made in the image of God, but there's something broken. There's something wrong with us and wrong with humanity. And it's sin. Legal righteousness. That we've all sinned. And this is what Paul says in Romans 3.22 as he talks about the finished work of Christ. He says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It comes through faith in Jesus. Who's it available to? All who believe. This is forensic righteousness. Declared righteous, just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. That is a very important teaching through the book of Romans, Galatians. But that's not, I believe, what Jesus is just dealing with here. Here, in this sermon, he's dealing with the outworking of being made righteous. Beloved, we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark. So the pressing question is then, how are we made right? And there's basically only two approaches to being made right. One is you have to do it. It's works-based. The burden rests on you. So you need to be baptized in this way. You need to have this confession. You need to be over here. You need to be over there. You need to give this. You need to go here. Make a pilgrimage. It's on you. Do these things. Don't do those things. And hopefully your good will outweigh your bad and you'll make it. For some of you, that was probably the way you thought until you came to hear the gospel and know Jesus. Okay, these are works-based religions. This is, I'll have some of God's righteousness, but really I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm not too bad. I, I mean, I've, I've always believed. I, I've never been quite that bad. But beloved, that's not what God says about you. God doesn't say, this is my beloved son, and you're, you're pretty close to Jesus. No, we're so bad that when Jesus came on this planet, we said, you die. That's what we thought of his goodness. God came to rescue us. There's another way, and it's grace-based. Okay? One is behavior. What are you doing? What are you not doing? The other is grace-based, and it's based on what we believe, that we have heard the gospel, and we put our faith and trust in Christ alone. This is what we believe. I can't save myself. I need a savior. More than I need a teacher, I need a savior. Now, because he has saved me, I'm listening to what he's teaching. I want to obey my teacher because over and above that, he's not just another teacher. He's the savior of the world. He's my Savior. Is he your Savior? Paul would write about this grace-based salvation. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may, and don't you know we would, put a plaque on my name. If I give something, put, a, put, my, put my name on a plaque. Because I want to tell people about this door. I paid for this chair. I paid for the carpet. Nah, I really want to buy the carpet. Toilet paper, I donated the toilet. Come on, I don't really want that. Come on, how about a chandelier or something, right? If there was anything that we could do to earn our salvation, then we would talk nonstop about, it's all about me, right? That's not how the Lord orchestrated our salvation. It's all about him. But we are saved for a reason, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Do you see who the active one is there? It's, it's the Lord, Jesus. We are his workmanship. Nobody comes and praises a painting. Ooh, painting, you are amazing. Wonderful job painting. No, the question to ask is, who painted this? 
you painted this? Ooh, I love your painting. We're his masterpiece, his workmanship. We didn't create ourselves in Jesus. We were created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, beloved, listen. Scripture is so clear that we are not saved by our good works. We're saved for good works. We're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. Now, that's legal righteousness. But what about, number two, moral righteousness? Moral righteousness. This is righteousness before God in the world. That we live lives pleasing to the Father in heaven. This is moral righteousness. In Ephesians 1.4, Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers, the disciples in Ephesus, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And no one in their sound mind would say, check, check, holy, blameless. That's me. I'm glad somebody finally recognized. No. He has to do this in us. Being right with God, morally. Who here can say, yep, I put God first all the time in my life. Every day, every thought, every motive. That's me. No. That would just be like, nah, you just broke commandment number nine. You shall not lie. We need a Savior. But thirdly, there's social righteousness. Social righteousness. And this is displayed through right relationships with others. This is where, because vertically I've been made right with God, it's going to overflow and make a difference to those around me. It's not just going to be in a, in a bubble or in a cave or out in the desert, and we just stay out there, and I'm so holy, and I think holy thoughts, and I, and I do holy things all day, and yet you don't live with anybody. What good is that? Well, nobody's messing with me, and I can have at 5 o'clock I pray, and at 6 o'clock I, I read, and 7 o'clock I do these spiritual walk, and then like, yeah, you don't have any dogs barking. You don't have any neighbors that you know, are loud. You don't have any. Where, who are you serving? Who are you impacting? What difference are you making in the world? None. You're missing the point of your life then. So important. Remember the thesis of last Sunday sermon that we will, by God's grace, leverage every opportunity and not lose our testimony. God's glory, man's good. It flows right into this, that we will leverage every opportunity and not lose our testimony. This is what Jesus is on about in his sermon here, so that his followers live in such a way that others will hunger and thirst after righteousness that his followers would live in such a way that they live so that others are treated justly and fairly. And that governs over how they vote this coming Tuesday if they vote on election day. How do we care for others rightly, righteously? How do we defend the unborn, not yet born? Who will have a voice for that little one made in the image of God that hasn't taken a first breath yet? What is it inside the womb if it's not a human being? 
So we stand and we protect. And what about those who are abducted and sex trafficking? And, And where are we as believers in making a difference in those around? This influences how we approach aspects like immorality and pornography and adultery. Because God made something good and it was marriage And Satan hates God and hates everything that stands and represents God. So he hates the church, he hates the family, and he hates government. And we long for the righteousness of God. Amen? Righteousness here, flowing out to righteousness everywhere I go. This is real. Our faith needs to have tires to hit the pavement, right? We need to be making a difference in our community. God, help us to make a difference and use us to impact the lives of those around us. And this isn't just a passing, well, yeah, I thought about that back in, you know, 2007, and then I got back to my mind. There are people who do that. They come, they pray a prayer, they try God, they like the company, and then they're like, well, you know, I got to work, 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 and I got to go, and I got to do, and I have no more time for God. And you're like, what happened? Where'd they go? What did they really believe? I don't know. The Lord knows. But Jesus is talking about not just a real hunger and thirst for righteousness, but also a lasting hunger and thirst for righteousness. This stays with the person. This is lasting. A lasting hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of God's righteousness. James Montgomery Boyce, he says, Oh, how happy is the man who knows enough not to be satisfied with any partial goodness with which to please God, who is not satisfied with any human goodness, he alone is happy who seeks for the divine righteousness because God will certainly provide it. What are we saying? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. God. To have God. More than our next meal, more than our health, wealth, and happiness, we hunger, beloved, and thirst for righteousness. So let me ask you the question. Does that describe you? Are you a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Or are you craving something else? Is something else the passion of your life? Thirdly, what's the result? What impact does it have? The craving, the the result of this craving is satisfaction. It's never ending. Jesus says, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be full, right? The word satisfied, it's used when you're stocking up your... uh, your, your livestock, you're feeding your livestock. You want them full. You want them really, really fat, right? For a purpose, you know, bacon, steaks, whatever. Full, filled up, full, satisfied. That, that's the word that Jesus uses here. There's great contentment. I'm full, I'm filled. Rolling Stones, 1965, right? I can't get, no. Satisfaction. And what did they do? They tried. They tried. And they tried. And try, right? They just tried. 
but I can't get no. How many people live and die, and that's their song? I can't get no satisfaction. You know why? Rolling Stones, you missed the message of Jesus. Jesus said, you can't get no satisfaction unless you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then you'll be fully satisfied. The only place you'll be satisfied. Augustine said it this way. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's where we say, oh, this is what I was meant for. This is what I was created for. It was not just for my job. It wasn't just for where I lived. It was God and his glory and the good of those who are made in his image. So there's a present satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's right now in the life of a believer that we have been accepted by God. We have God, therefore we have all that we need. And beloved, we love the giver. We don't just love the gifts. And whenever you and I start to complain, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt, it was so nice. What are, who are we indicting? Who are we blaming and attacking? Well, they couldn't get to God, so they went after Moses. That's what you and I do too. We go after the people that don't serve us well enough in our lives, and we complain. And it starts to show that we really, I really didn't just love God for who he is. I really was loving him as long as he was providing me gifts. But what did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of it, in every season, you're good. You're good, Lord, and we trust you. It can often seem that people who don't love God, they don't worship God, and they seem to go through life like it's great. They just, they're just living like nobody catches them. You know, even when you find out stuff about them and people look the other way and you know, they're just powerful and famous and wealthy, and, and it seems like they're untouchable. Yeah, well, the Bible deals with that, Psalm 17. Verse 13, the psalmist says, Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Verse 14, from men by your hand. O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is... Now listen to this, this is instructive. These people, they just look like they get by and no one ever catches them. But their portion is in this life, like the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus spoke about. You fill their womb with treasure, and they never say thank you, and they don't raise those children to know the one who gave them. They are, here's the word, satisfied with children. And they leave their abundance to their infants. They will pass off the scene and their children will inherit what they left and they're gone like grass mowed down. But the righteous are satisfied forever. Verse 15, the psalmist says, as for me. Oh, this is good. I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, here's the, here's the teaching on the resurrection from the Old Testament that we're created for more than just this life. When I awake, I shall be, here's the word. They were satisfied with kids. They were satisfied to leave an inheritance and it was gone. And it's been gone for thousands of years since this psalm. 
But the psalmist is saying, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I have you. I will be with you. And therefore, the psalmist dependus is still being satisfied in the presence of God right now, today. The wicked, they've been gone a long time. And so is their inheritance and so have their children. There's a present satisfaction. There's a continual satisfaction by the Spirit of God that we're never thirsty again. Why? Because we keep drinking from the fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. The reason that the child of God is never thirsty again is because they're still drinking. It's not that they got saved and there, I'm all done with that. I don't need to go back to church anymore. I don't need to read my Bible. I prayed the prayer. I'm good to go. See y'all in heaven. No, no, no. They keep drinking. The more that we grow, the more that we want. The, we're hungry, and I've had my need met, and I'm satisfied, and I long for more, and I want to grow in his goodness and in his grace. John 4, 13, Jesus to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks of this water, this real literal water at that well, Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what is he talking about there? The spirit of God in the person welling up. And now it's not just that ah, I've been satisfied. Now I've been satisfied to bring satisfaction everywhere I go. It's for a purpose. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Can I ask you the question, have you come to Jesus? Have you partaken of the bread of life? Are you thirsty this morning for God? There's a continual satisfaction. It's a present, right now, real satisfaction. And lastly, there's an eternal satisfaction in God. This is the result of those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. And it's not just for 70 years or seven years or seven minutes. It's for infinity. It's for all eternity will be satisfied in God. And we all look forward, who know Christ, we look forward to the day when we'll finally be at home with God, with our Savior, no longer under the influence of sin. We are saved right now, those who know Christ from sin's penalty. We're not going to hell, and we deserve hell. We're not under sin's power. I do not have to sin. Romans 7, though, Paul says, what I want to do, I'm not doing. What I don't want to do, there I find myself doing that. And this, this wrestling match, oh, this wretched body of death. Who will deliver me? That's what Paul says. He was delivered, was being delivered, and when they chopped off his head, he was in the presence of the Lord and no longer in the presence of sin, at home with God. He didn't lose anything. He gained everything. And so it is for everyone who dies in Christ. 2 Peter 3.13, Peter looked forward to a coming day of righteousness. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, for new heavens and a new earth in which what dwells in the new heaven and new earth righteousness. It's not just a rare thing like, hey, we heard something good. We want to share a good story in the thousands of bad stories. 
Peter's longing for the day where righteousness is at home, where everywhere you look, you see it's right. Turn with me to Revelation 21. Almost the final words of the Bible. And John receives a vision of this place where righteousness dwells that Peter was writing of. Revelation 21, I want you to follow along, whether it be on an app or if you have your Bible there, to just, just read with me, just silently. I'll read out loud, but I want you to see this. That John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You know how, people, how many people are living for only what they see right now? It's going to be gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself shall be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and, the, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Anyone ready for that day? We said it a few weeks ago that generally it's only a mother that we would let wipe tears from our eyes. And God says, I will wipe away the tears from your eyes. What a precious reality. Verse, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, like don't miss this. Check this out. I am making all things, what? New. Also he said, write this down. I'm talking to John. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It is finished. Does that sound familiar? How is this possible? It is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Now listen, you might want to underline this. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life. Uh, how much, Lord? Without payment. It's not anything you can do. It's not anything I can do. It's what he has done in Christ. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. And he will be, you hear, the, you hear this? He'll be my son. But there's another group of individuals, and it's those who are described here. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, and remember Jesus said, if you have hated someone without cause, that's you. For murderers, the sexually immoral, that's all sex outside of marriage. Includes adultery, fornication, anybody, that's the pattern of their life. That's 
sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, eternal death. Now think about this, beloved. The believer looks forward to eternal satisfaction in God. The person who does not hunger and thirst after righteousness and they just seek after things right here, right now, career, whatever. What do they miss? God. Their satisfaction will never come. And hell is the response to a person who does not want God telling them what to do in life. They don't want God's people telling them to do what, anything in life. They want to go with, I'll do it my way. That's the end of that way, beloved. Oh, if you're on that way today, repent. Turn from that way and trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. They will be satisfied. So let me ask you this morning, what are you pursuing most in life? Don't leave that question quickly. What are you pursuing most in this life? Disciples of the Lord Jesus, we enjoy the pursuit of God's glory and man's good forever. We see the intensity of this craving is all-consuming. The object of this craving is righteousness. It's all-surpassing. And the impact, the result, what happens as a result of God's working in us, it's never-ending. It's eternal. Oh, may God work in our lives today and every day that he gives us. What's your next step? What's your next step in obedience to this king? How can we help you take that step? Maybe you need to trust him today. Maybe you need to follow him and make a public profession of faith through the waters of baptism. Maybe it's to become a member and join. Whatever. Maybe it's to tell somebody the good news. Take the step of obedience today. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word and we praise you, Lord Jesus. You are good, you are perfect, you are holy, you are righteous, you are true. Lord, we ask you to increase our appetite for righteousness, Lord, in our lives, in our church, and throughout the nations, God. We pray, O oh Lord, that our lives will increasingly reflect your righteousness and your holiness. Oh God, may you use us for your glory and for the good of others around us. Thank you that you are sovereign and you are in control, Lord. You are omnipotent. I pray that this word will bring forth fruit in the hearts of all who hear. And only you can do that, Lord. I can deliver the message, but I can't make the message bring fruit. But you can and you do. And I pray that you will today in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.